If you would turn in your Bibles this morning, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Numbers. And uh, if you've never studied the book of Numbers, I will admit that a uh, title sounds uh, kind of boring. And um, a lot of people don't understand uh, what the book of Numbers is all about. So I'm going to give you a little explanation before we get into it. Uh, but first, let me read. We're going to be studying in Numbers chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Korah, son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, son of Eliab, and On, son of Palath, became, this is the important word, they became insolent and rose up against Moses. This is what's famously called uh, the Great Rebellion of Korah, and it's a big deal in the Bible, and so we need to know all about this rebellion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much, Lord. And Lord, we're so thankful for being able, Lord, to worship this morning and uh, to, to study the Word together, Lord. And this morning, I just pray that you would speak your words, Lord God. Father, that you would anoint your minister like a flame of fire, Lord God. Let me hide behind your cross, Lord, and deliver your word, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. So there are a lot of names here that most of us aren't familiar with. But as you begin to study the Bible, I'm going to give you the background of the book of Numbers and tell you why it's important. In the book of Numbers... This is actually, if you were a young Hebrew child, this book would be called the In the Wilderness book. It's the book of the children of Israel coming out of slavery. They actually went into bondage in Egypt, and now they're coming out of slavery, and they're in freedom now. They're, they're free people, and they're learning how to live as free people. And in the book of Numbers, you can't help but uh, place ourselves in their situation because the book of Numbers is really about us. And just imagine uh, that you had been in bondage and you'd been in slavery your whole life, and now God supernaturally has delivered you to live in freedom. No longer are we enslaved to sin. And so the book of Numbers is the book of the wilderness, the book of coming out of slavery and into freedom. And this particular part of the Bible is everything God did to change the hearts of the people after they came out of Egypt. Now here's the problem that God ran into. It was much easier for God to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt than it was for God to take Egypt out of the hearts of the children of Israel. And so when God delivers us and God saves us, it's not a difficult thing for God to save us from sin, but the hardest thing for God to do is to take those things out of us that the world has put in there. And so this book is about, in fact, they go from Egypt to Mount Sinai. And I like to call this Mount Sinai Surgical Center. This is where God surgically removes all of those attitudes that, do, that does not allow this nation to enter into the promised land. 
So they're attempting to enter into the promised land, but there are all kinds of things inside of us that's holding us from being blessed by God. And so as we begin to go into this part of the Bible where Korah leads a giant, huge rebellion against Moses and the leadership that God instituted, we have to understand a little bit about what happened before this. And we have to go back to the book of Genesis because God had a family that he began to bless and began to um, deliver promises to this family. And the family was Abraham, his son Isaac, and his son Jacob. Jacob, Abraham, and Isaac were all promised that God was going to make a great nation out of them. God was going to do through this family, he was going to bless, the Bible says, the entire world through one family. And so we find the life of Abraham in Genesis, we find the life of Isaac, we find the life of Jacob, and we find the promises going from generation to generation. And then we see in the life of Jacob something very interesting happens. God says they're going to make a great nation out of this family. But the problem is there's only 70 people at this point in this family. And so God tells Jacob that the promises that he made to him, his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, were going to be fulfilled. And get this, in Genesis chapter 46, verse 2 to 4, God tells him something interesting. It says, God spoke to Jacob in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he said. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make a great nation of you there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. So Jacob has a promise that if he takes his family of 70 individuals, just imagine this, 70 individuals, if you'll go down to Egypt and take your family there, I'll be with you and I will bring you out a great nation. So Jacob goes to Egypt. They end up in Egypt for 400 years. The family ends up in bondage in Egypt. And guess what? God comes in and supernaturally brings his family out of Egypt. But no longer is it 70 people. In fact, as he brings them out of Egypt, they begin to number the people. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of Numbers. And in Numbers, it says that after they numbered all of the people, it says that the total number of people that came out were, uh uh-oh, 603,000 people that were just the fighting men is what they numbered. So 603,000 people over the age of 20 and able to fight was 603,000 males. And so if you add in the women, you add in the children, you add in the Levites who weren't in the number, they estimate that at least 2 million people came out of Egypt. And so I want you to begin to think of this. God fulfilled His promise. He brought a group of 2 million people into the wilderness, delivered them from bondage, and now He's got to teach them how to trust Him. Well, here's the problem. In order to trust God... We have a lot of things inside of us that keep us from trusting God. And so as they begin to go in the wilderness, God began to do surgery on the rebellion that was in their heart. Now here's the importance of rebellion. No matter what you do in life, you're going to run into authority. 
No matter what you do in life, you're going to run in to situations where you have to get along with people. You're going to run into situations where you have to learn to work together. You're going to run into situations where you have to have teamwork. And so this issue of rebellion turns out to be a really big issue. In fact, if you look at a family, if there is a person in the family who is rebellious, how many know that that affects the entire family? If there's somebody in a business that is rebellious and doesn't want to do what they're being asked to do, how many know that is a difficult situation to be in? If you have a a sports team and you have a group that is rebellious, you really can't do anything with that sports team. And if you have a church or a country where people are rebellious, that country, that church will not do anything, depending on how large that rebellious group is. So here we find we're going through the wilderness, and suddenly this group of Korah, and it's very important the names that they have here. Korah is the son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi. What's very interesting is Levi's oldest son was Amram, who was the father of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So here's the deal. Korah was the first cousin of Moses. So Korah, Moses' first cousin, leads a rebellion against Moses. And it says that he gathered together Dathan, Abiram, Eliab, and, uh, and On. And they became very insolent and rose up against Moses. Now I want you to remember as we get into the story... There's only four people that are that are a part of this rebellion. It's very difficult to have a rebellion when you only have four people. And so the way that they were positioned in the camp, they were together. And so their tents were together. They were close together in community. And so they just began to talk about Moses. And it says, and this is a very key word in the message here, it says they became insolent. Now, insolent, the definition of that is to be boldly contemptuous of a person or a position of authority. They did everything they could to make sure Moses failed. Now, I want you to begin to think of what it means to be insolent. They began to be contemptuous of a person or a position of authority. Now, I want you to begin to think about that in a family. What happens to a family when a child is contemptuous of their father? Or they have a bold disregard for that person? What happens in a church when that happens? And and, and bigger than anything, for this hour, what happens to a country when an entire group of people are insolent toward a president? Because that's what's happening in this situation. We have Moses who is presiding over the children of Israel, and there are only four people right now that are insolent. And those four people are led by a man named Korah. Now they say Korah uh, was one of the wealthiest people that came out of Egypt. Somehow he had great wealth, and Jewish tradition says he was one of the two wealthiest people. Now here's what happened to uh, Korah. If you look at the Jewish background and the Jewish history of this, uh, Moses began to um, 
He began to set up princes in each of the 12 tribes. He began to have ruling authorities in each part of the community. If you have 2 million people in the wilderness, how many know everybody has to have a job? Everybody has to have a um, have leadership. Everybody has to have something that they're required to do. They were a portable community of 2 million people. And if you don't work together in that type of community, you're not going to last very long in the wilderness. And so Moses really was a great administrator and he, um, and he doled out positions and authority and, and job duties and those kinds of things. And, and, and Korah, they say, uh, he was one of the eldest of one of the eldest sons and he expected to be a ruler of that segment of tri- that tribe of people, uh, that he was a part of, which was the Levites. And instead of him, Moses ordained another person to be the ruler of the people. So Korah became insolent. How many know that envy is one of the greatest causes of insolence? Selfish ambition is one of the greatest parts of insolence. Now why would I preach on this topic? The reason why is because we're in the middle right now of a pandemic. And during these times, you find out if people are really working together or if people really aren't part of the solution. And I believe that there is a segment of our population, you say, well, wait a minute, you're a Republican. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. But it is very obvious to me that there is insolence in our government. There is a terrible amount of insolence. There's a disregard. There's a contempt for our president. And I'm telling you right now, we cannot have contemptuous insolence in our governing body. And it says that this group of four people gathered together amongst them 250 of the greatest ruling officials in Israel. Four of them gathered 250 together who were of the ruling council. It says... With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have too much power. And you see that an entire nation was becoming infected with insolent people, people who had no regard and were contemptuous for their leaders. And right now we find people that are contemptuous for their mayors. They're contemptuous for their governors, contemptuous for their president. And you say, well, would you feel the same way if Barack Obama was president? And I'm telling you, I would. We are called to pray for our president. We are called to pray for our governors. We are called to be people who work together for the good of our community. And right now we have insolent people that would rather see their cause forwarded than the people to be blessed. And right now God is calling us to repent of this insolence because God doesn't want us to be insolent. In fact, we'll see as we go along that this isn't just men that have risen up. This is Satan himself that's stirring the embers. And God loves when people dwell together in harmony. People dwell together in unity. And you say, well, man, let them have it, you know, if they don't support Trump. No, I'm letting you have it if you don't support our president, regardless of whether it's Democrat or Republican. Does that not mean 
that we don't pray against things that are ungodly and we don't oppose things that are ungodly. That means we still stand up for what's right, but it doesn't mean that we're allowed to be insolent and, and contemptuous of whoever's in government. The Bible says we should be praying for both, for the good of the people. And as we go along here, we see two different rebellions. The other group of people were the, from the tribe of Reuben, whereas Korah was from the tribe of Levi. Korah, as history will tell you, his major issue was he was of the tribe of the priests. And basically, Korah had an argument that he did not like the way God established religion. He had his own way that was an improvement of what they were doing. In fact, uh, the Jew, Jewish histories, the Jewish legends go into the arguments that uh, Korah had. Korah had three main arguments. He said, hey, Moses has given all these requirements. They're unnecessary. We don't need all these requirements. There's a better way to do it. They said that he argued that the tassels in uh, chapter 15 of Numbers was uh, connected with this uh, rebellion. He said, why should we put tassels on all of the garments that are blue? We just made garments for everybody that's blue. How does it make it any more holy to put tassels on it? Well, God said put tassels on them because it will remind you to keep every commandment that I give you. And Korah had a better way. Korah said all, in fact, his quotation is, the whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you put yourself above the Lord's assembly? He's saying, what God is requiring us to do is not necessary. We're all already holy. And he's challenging the religious authority of the people that God put there to preach the Word. And can I tell you right now, in our country, there are challenges to the foundation that Jesus Christ has laid in this country. And that challenge um, is a challenge to God. God will say later that you haven't challenged Moses, you've challenged me. And so he's challenging the religious authority, which is what we're finding in this nation. We have an insolent group of people, listen to me, we have an insolent group of people that are challenging government and especially challenging the authority of God. They're challenging the authority of God with abortion. They're challenging the authority of God in every area of sexuality. They're charging the authority of God with everything, every blasphemy that's put on a television screen. And church, I'm telling you, God has called us to stand on the side of God. Amen? I know I'm hearing some amens in some living rooms, right? Hallelujah. The other one was a different argument, though. The other argument was the Reubenites. And the Reubenites were the oldest brother, and they felt like they should be the ruling authority. They, should, they felt like they should be the governing authority. And they thought, why is Moses the leader of this people when we're the sons of the oldest son? And so they had a whole different argument, and so there's two different rebellions that have united together against God Himself. And so this is a major deal. And so as they come together, it says, when Moses heard this, now what do you think Moses' reaction is? Because Moses was actually born in the palace. Moses actually had been in the wilderness for 40 years. He already had experience in leading the people. He already had the education that probably was well above all of them. Moses could have said, could have been angry and could have uh, went after the people and could have immediately quelled the uprising by getting angry. But it says Moses 
fell face down. It means he bowed before God and he began to inquire of God, how do I deal with this? And church, if we're ever going to deal with the rebellion that is in this country, the rebellion that's in our families, the rebellion that's in, in every area of society, we're going to have to fall face down before God and begin to pray. And it says, Then he said to Korah and all of his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers, you are to do this. Take censers in your hand tomorrow. Take censers in your hand tomorrow. Put burning coals in the incense in them before the Lord. And the man the Lord chooses, he will be the one who is holy. The Levites have gone too far. Moses said also to Korah, now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself? to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to him. He, he has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but you are trying to get the priesthood too. It's against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Now listen here. This is very interesting. God says, okay, if you think you are a priest and you think you can replace the leadership that God put here, get yourself censors like a priest, come before the presence of God and let him choose whether what he said is true or what you say is true. And so they gathered 250 of the followers together with censors and came before the Lord. And Moses said, oh, by the way, you Levites. So who do you think the group of 250 were that were coming against Moses? The Levites, very important that you know who the Levites are. They're an anointed group of ministers who ministered in the house of God. They were in charge of the music. They were in charge of the furnishings. They were in charge of moving literally the Ark of the Covenant from place to place. They were very important people who were anointed by God to do work in the sanctuary. But it wasn't good enough to be in the sanctuary. They wanted Aaron's position. And so God said, okay, yeah, let's come. And let's allow you to do what the priest does in defiance of the Word of God. And let's see what happens. These were anointed Levites. They were a division of the Levites called the Kohathites. Uh, Korah was reported to be the very one who carried the Ark of the Covenant and was considered God's throne among the people. Think about this. Korah was reported to be the one that carried the very throne of God. But it wasn't enough. He was separated among two million people to be the one that carried the ark, but he also wanted to offer the incense. So, it says, Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, We won't come. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of the land flowing with milk and honey? Do you hear that? He said, Do you realize, Moses, you took us out of the land that flowed with milk and honey. Moses is trying to take them to the land that flowed with milk and honey. They said, no, the land we came from as slaves was a better land. And he said, isn't it enough that you did that? Now you want to kill us in the wilderness, and now you also want to lord over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into the land that flows with milk and honey or given us an inheritance or fields or vineyards. Do you want 
to beat these men like slaves. No one, no, we will not come. Then Moses became angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, and I have not wronged anybody. Do you see that this is an episode that happens right after they refused to enter the promised land? They had just refused to enter the promised land, and now guess what they're doing before God? They're blaming God's leader because they didn't enter into the promises of God. Soon as things go wrong, guess who they blame? God's leader. And so they come the next day, and it says, Moses said to Korah, this is verse 16, You and your followers appear before the Lord tomorrow. You and they and Aaron, each man take his censer, put incense in it, 250 censers in all, present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. So each of them took the censer, put burning coals and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron in the entrance of the tent. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance of the tent, the glory of the Lord appeared on the entire assembly, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, so here they are, all these who oppose Aaron, all these who oppose Moses, all these who oppose God, show up with censers. Do you know the censers and the incense symbolize prayer? Prayer to God and prayer being received by God. And so we see all of these people who are in defiance of leadership and defiance of God, and they're all standing at this entrance. And the first thing God says is, when Korah had gathered in opposition at the tent and the glory appeared, it says in verse 21, separate yourselves from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. God said, separate from among them. Come out from among them. And leave them standing here. Now this is the most unfortunate thing of the whole story. It says, Moses and Aaron fell face down and began to cry out to God, O God, uh, he who gives breath to all living things, don't be angry with the entire assembly because this one man has sinned. You see that Moses is still interceding on behalf of the people. He's still saying, God, don't destroy everybody because of these four insolent men led by Korah. Don't do it, Lord. Please save them. He begins interceding for the people. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tent of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. You notice there's only three of them now? There was four. So here's some of the things that we need to learn about this rebellion. First, it was four of them. It was included a guy by the name of On, O-N. He disappears from the picture, which tells you that when Moses let them go home overnight, he changed his mind and pulled away from the rebellion. He repented of it. Three of them were still there. God is still very merciful. God is saying, please, get away from these three men. Don't let their rebellion infect you. Don't let their insolence infect your heart. Don't be like these rebellious people come out from among them. God is still merciful. God is still trying to protect. God is still trying to not pour His wrath on the whole assembly. He's trying to tell them to get away. And it says Korah was there, and then it says, Moses got up, went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, move away from these wicked men's tents. Do not touch them. Anything that belongs to them, or you will be swept away because of their sins. So they moved away from their tents. Now listen to this. 
Dathan and Abiram came out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrance of the tent. And Moses says, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do these things, and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord was not with me. But if the Lord does something totally new, and Moses just says, If he were to open up the earth and swallow them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down to the realm of the dead, then you will know that they have treated the Lord with contempt. You see that these two leaders led their entire family into rebellion. You say, well, man, how does that play in our world? You say, man, I hate our president, I hate our governor, I hate our pastor, and all this rebellion is spewing from your table every day, and all this hatred is within you, and you don't want to work with anybody. You always want to be rebellious. And, and, and church, I know people, I've been in prisons where people have been rebellious their whole life. They don't know how to act any different, and God is trying to remove that rebellion. They hate teachers, they hate pastors, they hate churches, they hate everybody that's ever been given to them as an authority person, they hate them. And what God is saying is, you're going to infect your entire family. You're going to affect those little children's ears. How many know if you're biased toward a certain racial group, if you're biased toward a certain political group, if you spew hatred constantly, it's going to infect your family and infected both of these families. What's really interesting to see is how everybody was affected because Moses said, come out from among them. Korah's sons did not join him because it says later, in numbers that Korah's sons did not die. And so Korah's sons go on to be some of God's most faithful ministers. In fact, one of the sons of the sons of Korah wrote a psalm that says, Better is better is it to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. And and they're the same ones that wrote the psalm as a deer panteth for the water. I mean, these men were godly men. And they did not follow the hatred of their father. They came away from him. Then we see another guy on who didn't even join in the rebellion. He saw the light and began to repent and he pulled away from the rebellion. But then we see after these men, one group of men with the censors are standing there and the Bible says they were consumed with fire. It says the Original conspirators were sucked up in the ground. And then it says, after all this happened, the next day, a group of people came to Moses. And I want you to catch this. A group of people came to Moses and they said, Moses, why have you caused all these people to die in our camp? You understand that they still don't take responsibility for the rebellion that they started. They don't understand the wrath of God that comes against rebellion. They said, Moses and Aaron... You too have caused this. And the Bible says that a plague broke out in the camp. And the plague was specifically on that southern wing. Now, if you can imagine, they were camped out in the wilderness with the tent of meeting in the middle, and all the tribes were lined up like a cross. And the south side of that cross, a plague broke out. And it says in that plague, almost 15,000 people were consumed with the plague. Now, one of the questions that he originally was asking was, Moses, do we need tassels if the whole thing's already blue? Moses said, you do. He said, do we need to have a masuza on our door if we've got a house full of books 
that have scriptures. Why do we need a scripture on our door? Moses said, you do because God said it. Now, do you notice that they were burned with fire because they weren't acceptably wearing what God told them to wear and they weren't priests, they were burnt with fire? The clothing question. The second question was, do we need a masseuse on our home to be protected if we have a house full of books that have scriptures? And he said, you do. And notice that their house swallowed them up and all their possessions. Third question was, if you have a wound that's the size of a bean and it's open and festering, do you need to be quarantined? Moses said, absolutely. They said, if it covers your entire body um, and it's bigger than the bean-sized one and it looks this way, do we need to be quarantined? He goes, no. Moses was imposing quarantine laws. We all know about quarantine laws, right? Moses is saying, the festering wound, you have to be quarantined. And Dathan said, you are not God's man. This law is not God's law. And he said, we don't need to live by what Moses is doing. How many know that those quarantine laws were the only thing that could save them from a plague in the middle of the wilderness? And so that particular wing, a plague began to spread. The epicenter was the southern wing of that community. And it says it began to spread to all the people. And this plague was threatening to kill Two million people in the wilderness. How many think that could happen? A plague could spread from that southern part of the community and cover the entire community. We know what it feels like right now, right? And this plague was spreading. Fourteen, Almost 15,000 people died in this plague. And, and Moses said, Aaron, go to the temple, get a coal from the altar, get one censer, not 250, one, because there's only one. Aaron is a type of Christ. There's one censor that pleases God and, 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 and provides forgiveness of sins. There's one prayer that God hears, and it's through the sacrifice of His Son. It's through Jesus Christ. And it says, Aaron, go grab that censor and stand between the living and the dead. And I want you to see this picture. Aaron, as a type of Jesus Christ, stands with a censor, which in the Bible symbolizes the prayers of the saints, and he stood on the side where the dead died of the plague and the living weren't touched with the plague. And he stood in the middle and began to intercede for the people. And when God seen that sacrifice that represented his son, he stopped the plague and saved the people. And so you begin to look at this and you begin to see there's a principle here. In fact, if you begin to look at Korah's rebellion, it reminds you of another rebellion. The Great Rebellion. And it says Satan was an anointed cherub. Just like the Levites were anointed before God to do work. It says in Ezekiel 28.14, he was an anointed cherub serving as a guardian cherub over the throne of God. How many know that uh, this man's job, Korah, was to transport the throne of God from place to place? Just like Satan. It says that uh, Satan in Ezekiel 28.13, it says the workmanship of his timbrels and pipes were prepared for you in the day you were created. He was a heavenly musician just like the Levites. That's uh, New King James Version, Ezekiel 28.13. So he was made just like the Levites. In fact, there's so many shadows here, you just can't avoid it. It says that uh, he desired... To remove Moses from his throne, Korah did. What did Satan say? Is Isaiah fourteen thirteen? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. 
I raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly. On the utmost heights of the sacred assembly, I will sit above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you will be brought down low to the depths of the pit. Do you see that just like Korah, who wanted to replace Moses in authority, Satan wanted to sit on God's throne. And it was brought down to the pit of hell, which we see in Revelation, just like Korah and his family, or Korah and his conspirators. But then we also begin to look, and we see another shadow. In fact, this may be the most important part of the message. The Bible says, in the last days, there will be a great rebellion against God one more time. And we see the same shadows in the last days that we've seen during the time of Satan, the time of Korah, and the time that we now live in. The Bible says that there will be those whispers just like Korah, that God, God's plan, God's way, God's uh, government, God's um, the, the way that we even reach God through the blood of Jesus Christ will be assaulted in the last days. And the Bible says that there will be a spirit of Antichrist that permeates the world. And the Bible says that there will be uh, such a delusion in the last days that they will believe the lie. They will follow... Um, the whims of Satan. Satan will be attempting in the last days to gather together the final rebellion against God. In fact, at the end of the book of Revelation, we see all the wicked in the world gathered together, their fists toward God, ready to defeat God. You say, well, man, how can that possibly be? This is a shadow of Korah. It's a shadow of the rebellion of the time that we live in in church. Let me tell you today, there's going to be whispers in the world that God is not good enough, God's plan is not good enough, God's Word is not good enough, and I'm telling you today, it is the same as the rebellion of Korah. And the Bible says that in the book of Revelation, uh, Babylon is about to be destroyed, Satan is about to be destroyed, thrown into a pit, and God keeps saying the same thing over and over. Come out from among them. Come out from among them. Don't be a part of the insolent. Don't be a part of the rebellious. Don't be a part of this world system that is against God and against the authority of God. Stand on the side of God. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you a final verse here. It says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Don't just live in peace, but also be holy as God defines it. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows in, grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The bitter root is very present in this world. Everybody wants to be angry. Everybody wants to shake their fist at God. Everybody wants to blame God. And God is saying, don't let the bitter root grow up in you because it will defile many. It will defile your home by your church, or the fire of your country. So I'm going to ask you today as we close in a word of prayer. I know this has probably been a long sermon. But as I close in a word of prayer, I'm just going to ask you in this time of this pandemic, I just ask you to, to repent of all rebellion against government, authorities, uh, people that are put in positions of authority above us. We really need to pray for our leaders. And so 
I know that our president, in fact, there used to be a time whether you were a Democrat or a Republican, uh, you called him Mr. President. And uh, you respected the position, whether or not you respected the person, you always respected the position. Now we live in an age where we don't even respect the position. But our president has asked that we be ambitious in praying that this would end. These requirements have a possibility of ending by Easter Sunday. And uh, I, for one, want to get behind uh, that hope. And I want to get behind that call to prayer. And uh, Easter is April the 12th, and I'm calling on all Christians in our church, anybody that may be listening to this message, um, that we would pray and fast until April the 12th. And uh, you say, well, man, I can't fast that long. I'm saying fast a meal, fast a meal here, a meal there. Uh, maybe a day, maybe two days, maybe the whole time if you've done it before. But let's fast, let's pray, because we want to be like Aaron. We want to be that one true true uh, censor of prayers of the saints coming before God. We want to be that one true person that's standing between the living and the dead to end this plague. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I come before you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that uh, whether we're Democrats or Republicans, it doesn't matter, Lord. We're all the same people in the same nation, Lord. And I just pray right now uh, that you would unify us, Lord. That there wouldn't be that hatred or anger or insolence, Lord. Uh, there wouldn't be that angry disrespect for the position or the person. And I just pray, Lord God, that we would see Satan's hand in that type of attitude and behavior. And right now I pray for a president, Lord. Lord, he's been under assault by these attitudes, Lord God. He's been under assault uh, by these groups of people that will not bend, will not break, will not help. And Lord, I pray right now that you break that demonic stronghold in our government, Lord. Lord, that everybody would work together, Lord God. Lord, that we would move in the same direction, that you would strengthen our president, strengthen our governors, Lord, strengthen our mayors, Lord, our Senate, our House, Lord. I just pray that you would intervene. Lord, we stand between the living and the dead like Aaron did, Lord God, and we pray an end, Lord God, to this virus, Lord. And I pray that you would uh, an end, Lord God, to all of the uh, um, all of the effects of this pandemic, Lord. I pray blessings upon our economy, Lord, or, and our people, Lord God. I pray that there would be a turning from ourselves and a turning to you, Lord God. I pray that there would be a um, Lord a, an understanding, Lord God, that it's only you. Only you, Lord God, that can help us in times like this, Lord. And I pray all these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.